So You Want to Be an Artist is now on YouTube as a video series too. So if anyone prefers watching their podcasts and conversations, then head over to YouTube, the So You Want to Be an Artist YouTube channel. And this episode is now live on there too. You know, sometimes when I do come across something that's new from nowhere, let's say I haven't read a book, but all of a sudden something feels intrinsically true. I'm like, I felt this as a child. You know, maybe art for me is helping people remember what they know is true deep down. We know a lot more than we allow ourselves to. Straight in. Nice. How have you been? It's been like we we're just speaking about. It's been years. Yeah, I think it's been like four years. Um, yeah, it's been good. You know, things have been moving in the right direction. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm content. Can you remember anything we spoke about last time? Oh my gosh, I feel like we spoke about music. Probably. I'm pretty bad at. I, I'll be honest. I don't really listen to the stuff that I do ever again. Yeah, same. Yeah, I'm just. I'm so uh, nervous about the potential of me just tearing to pieces everything <laughs> I do and hating my voice. So I'm just like, once it's out there, I, I just let it be everybody else's. I recently, well, this morning, dug back into our first one. Mm -mm. Just to hear your answer to the first question that I'll ask you that I always ask, mm. what is art? Mm. Um, so obviously you can't remember it. So mm. I'll tell you what it is and see if your definition has changed. But okay. let's launch off on the usual point. What is art? Art is a creative expression, I guess. I think that's maybe the most stripped back answer I can give. It's a creative expression. Um, I was going to say that maybe comes from the heart, but that's not even true always. It doesn't have to. Um, but yeah, let's stick with art is a creative expression. So your answer last time was art is an honest expression. Mm, interesting. Interesting how yeah, that's yeah. evolved. There's yeah. a less, of, um, less of a tyranny yeah, around yeah. that. Which yeah, is interesting, yeah. which mm. I would kind of expect the opposite, considering it feels like, from what I've seen, your path has been one of uh, increased dedication to truth. Yeah, I, I, I would hope so, at least. Um, yeah, I think honesty is a really important thing, uh, and it's something that I try to encourage in everything that I do. And maybe now I would say that it's changed, because the last time we spoke and we thought about art, I guess I was giving you my definition by what art means to me, um, as opposed to what art is in the world. You know, I was kind of maybe a bit biased there because there is a lot of art that isn't honest, um, but it's still art. Um, honesty would be my preference. You just said that for me, honesty is an integral ingredient, but you realize that that's not necessarily the case for everybody. Mm -hmm. But in terms of art, for me being an ideal, it's, it's the, for my expression, let's say, is I'm chasing or trying to give birth to my ideals. Mm -hmm. I guess for me, there's a future projection of, of creating this world or creating this attitude or creating this idea that I want to exist in the world. It's about evolution for me personally. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting... For, for you to say that, that your preference is not necessarily your definition? For me, at its best and at its most productive, art is 
um, an embodiment of my ideals and of the things I value and think are healthy and beneficial and productive for the world. And that probably won't ever change. I think Banksy says it best when he said, art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. And I think that's a really nice way of thinking about it. Um, because I like art that's provocative as well. I like art that um, makes me feel something. I quite like to trigger myself into feeling. So art's essentially propaganda. Mm, I, I guess you, you could say, yeah, in ways. I mean... Propaganda for some has a cynical undertone. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'll think about that one. But yes, there in many ways it can be propaganda. Let's say with a lot of my expression, it is honest. Um, but I guess, yeah, I guess maybe if there's if there's an intention behind your honesty, maybe that makes it propaganda. I, I'm not sure. It's interesting to dwell on for a second the idea of art being propaganda because it it uh, inflicts the idea that there is some kind of war going on. Well, yes. I mean, in many ways, you know, I, I think they say we're all fighting some invisible war, you know, whether that's the war of our minds, the war of love, you know, and, and how that can be a battle, whether it's uh, receiving or accepting, you know, it, it's not always as simple and straightforward for, for everyone. And, and so I guess there is a war of sorts, that we're all dealing with, and even if not at present, that happens at a certain point when we lose someone, when we face heartbreak. Um, and so, yeah, and, and, and a spiritual war, you know, depending on your lens and how you look at life and, and if you recognize that part of life. There are forces and things out there that sort of assault my spirit. Yeah, for me, you know, there's a lot of things that... I may not find offensive to my intellect or even my sense of identity, but definitely to my sense of spirit. Um, and that can come in all types of things. That can be advertising, that's sometimes certain music, that's certain political practices. It's the way we treat each other. It's, yeah, all of those for me feel quite um, offensive uh, to my spirit. It's interesting there's a divide between your sense of identity, your sense of spirit, and your sense of intellect. Mm. How do you create those divisions? How do you separate the three? Mm. Well, identity is social, you know. It's that thing that we recognize as we move through the world. So, woman, black, you know, and so on. Intellect, I think, is very detached from spirit to me. You know, I think intellect is very much in your head and, and spirit is maybe more so in your heart. It's intuition. It's a different type of intelligence. Um, a less recognized um, type of intelligence, but to me, the most important type. And so that's how I split it. So that's head, heart, and social. Is there a hierarchy? It's the heart that's the hierarchy for me. But, you know, but you have to be careful there because as much as... Um, I would put my heart at the top of this hierarchy. It has to work. It has to merge well with the head. I can't let my heart rule completely. Um, maybe in my art and maybe in, you know, what I'm writing, what I'm putting out, very much so there. Um, but even still, actually, I think, you know, your head engages with your heart when you are in, you know, the physical world. Over the years, I've 
I've battled that idea. There's been times where I've really valued intellect and I, I thought intellect was like the biggest virtue um, and the number one thing that was important for people to have. And I don't see intelligence as a virtue anymore because intelligence um, can be dangerous also. You know, intelligence is productive or helpful, but I wouldn't say that it's a virtue. There's a symbiosis that's necessary of uh, and, a, and a relationship of mutual dependency mm -hmm. in where one can't exist without the other. And mm -hmm. there has to be complete harmony between, between those separations. So for me, it's like the, the heart itself cannot, cannot exist in its, in its chaotic state. It needs some kind of order because, as you, as I'm sure we both know, you get in that place of emotion, you get in that place of connectedness with your spirit, mm -hmm. and it's maddening. Mm -hmm. it, it's like Huxley would say, mm. you can't take the valve off of the central nervous system all the way off. Mm -hmm. You need a sense of normalcy. You need to have your edges blunted blunted because otherwise you just be way too sharp oh. and 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 you'll probably become a destructive force to yourself or or, or outwardly mm. but for me the intellect on its own cannot exist either because you have all the ideas and no real experience no real knowledge you know because the the intellect is essentially just articulated examples of what the spirit experiences so, because if it's not in tune with the spirit, it's not true. Mm. Therefore, it's not smart. Because <laughs> you can't you can't be a liar and, and smart at the same time, unless that's a different conversation. <laughs> and then the identity stuff is just how the the relationship between those two is expressed outwardly, how you interact with your environment, how you interact with your friends and your family. So there's a real state of mutual dependency about the whole thing. It's a, it's the holy trinity essentially. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Yeah, I think so. Um, you're right. They they do have to harmonize and. Again, I have a feeling that we both know what it's like to try and live solely through the heart and how maddening that can be. Harmony and integrating all of these things. You know, integration is is very good, or at least productive. Also the most challenging, I'd say. Oh my gosh, yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, that's probably going to be my, my, my biggest life's work is, you know, integrating all of those things um, and, and trying to find a comfortable balance between all three. The product of art is the integration of the relationship between spirit and mind. Yeah. So what happens then for you if um, a piece of art doesn't have maybe the integration of all three? Then I walk away and I try to find something else to pay attention to. Okay, cool. There's always varying degrees of resolution on the truth. Mm, mm. And it's for me, it's about orbiting around those pieces or those people or those ideas that have a thread that you can just keep pulling. It's nice to know what's not for you. You know, I always think that I may not know who I am, but I've got quite a good grip on what I'm not, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that might be just as good. How did you get caught up in that process? Did you oh, ever get caught up? The caught up in the process of what? Of thinking you knew who you were. Oh yeah, I, I think that's you know it's youthful hubris. You know we, you know you know we twenty or sixteen. Or like, I'm sixteen now. I, I know everything. I'm twenty one. Like what can you tell me? And yeah, I guess you know I don't know how convinced I was, but I very much yes. In fact, now I think about it, yeah, there was very much times in my life, maybe around 24, 25, where 
I, I thought I'd worked out a lot of the world and I thought my beliefs and opinions then would always be uh, the ones that I have. And at that time, I was quite radical. And when I say radical, I mean... You know, it was when I was deeply engaging with social issues. So when you start engaging with social issues, then you're angry, you know, because it's the first time, or maybe not the first time, but it's it's when it clicks that, you know, the world is, yeah, just not exactly what you thought it was, you know? And, and the reaction to that is is one that's quite intense. And and so I was angry for a while and kind of saw everybody, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people, too many people as the enemy. Um, and I thought that was righteous. I thought there was something really um, special in that. Um, like, no, like, you know, I know who I am and, and these are the evil guys, these are the bad guys, like, you know, and I'm on the, I'm on the right side, you know, I, I, I know what I'm doing. And yeah, so in that sense, yeah, I was very much caught up um, in an ego game and, and a game of not really exploring myself. Well, how does how does your grip on something that's that's so important, like social issues, how does that loosen? Mm, I guess it's just a different approach to it. You know, I think a lot of us have similar approaches. We may not think so, but essentially, we're all looking for someone to blame. You know, in whichever way, whether it's, you know, you know, the world is this way because of the right, or the world is this way because of dumb leftists, some might say, or the world is this way because of white supremacy, the world is this way because of men, the world. And so we're all, you know, we're all kind of, you know, engaging in a similar game, uh, which is important, I guess. Yeah, it's important. But um, I guess I just changed my approach. So even ideas that I really don't like, I try to engage with. Positions I really don't like, I try to engage with because most people don't think they're doing something wrong. Mm. Most people can justify their positions uh, with at least something noble sounding. Once you do that for one, your anger sort of releases. And I know there's a lot of talk these days about the usefulness of anger and how anger is a radical thing, especially, let's say, for women because women's anger has often been stigmatized. And I think anger should be a visit, but it shouldn't be a final resting place, you know. And for some, and, and maybe like I was at one point, it was a resting place um, or a place that I felt like I needed to make a home from. Um, and I think, you know, as much as anger can be productive because it it drives you to do, you know, it drives you to maybe to to join forces with people, to get outside, to, 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 to raise your voice. But it's also blinding, you know, and, and that blind spot is important to me. There's a middle ground that I'm interested in. There's a middle ground. There's, um, because there's often, you know, a lot of, or at least kernels of truth, you know, within both perspectives or mm -hmm. in a variety of perspectives. And I think it's important to be able to to hold those um, different truths or those different perspectives at once um, as to never get caught up in either side of the extreme. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, what some people, maybe Buddhists would call like a middle path. Leading us back to art, I feel like, the, the spectrum of good and bad art, there's a 
everybody feels anger. Everybody feels these emotions, you know. There's, there's only few amount of emotions that we can really feel. The nuances, of course, are infinite. But the categories of them are, are, are pretty definite and pretty universal. And for me, things like fear and anger and everything that comes from that darker side of emotion, for me, has to be reconciled in that middle path or, or as a result of walking that middle path towing that line and then making something beautiful out of that initial feeling and emotion. Most love songs that are beautiful for me are rooted in death mm -hmm. and the finitude of humans and therefore the finitude of relationships. Mm -hmm. And the most beautiful things about anger, the most beautifully angry things are the ones that have somehow found a way to reconcile it and make peace. Mm. It's that alchemy, mm, yeah. I guess, for me that... that would keep me in front of a painting, would keep a song on repeat, would get me buying multiple cinema tickets and DVDs and stuff. Mm -mm. It's that reconciliation. And how important do you, f do you feel that reconciliation is? What I tend to naturally gravitate to is raw emotion. Sometimes it's not worked out. Sometimes it's not resolved. Because in life, sometimes things aren't resolved. Um, and I like that, you know. I, I like the ambiguity. I like not being given... Um, an ending that is always pleasing. Um, so I just, I, I genuinely just really like a raw expression and in music in particular, which is perhaps maybe the art form that I most engage with. Um, you know, I like hearing songs about things that we don't often talk about, um, you know, because a lot of popular music is, is dominated by love which is great because, you know, we, we need more love Probably in the wouldn't world. even say love. I'd say the loss of love. Yeah, 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 so exactly. it's the blues. Yeah, 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 exactly that. Um, but, you know, sometimes, you know, like, I, I, I want to hear, you know, or I like a song about, like, not being able to leave your room, you know, or uh, I like a song that's about dealing with the monsters in your head because I, I, I think, you know, although life is... Um, Life is infused with like moments of joy and absolute bliss and happiness, but there's a lot of anguish, you know, in, in between that time as well, or at least in my experience of, of life. Um, and so I like things that speak to that. Surely our evolutionary aim as, as, as a spiritual, spiritual evolutionary mm. aim is to shorten the gaps of anguish between the moments of elation. Yeah, I hope so. Or at least not let the anguish be in vain. And by that, I mean, what do we learn from anguish? And what can anguish teach us about what it is to be human, you know, and how our fellow humans may be feeling? Um, for me, the moments of anguish that I felt or complete low times that I felt is probably... Um, a direct reason as to why I approach the world, or at least I try to quite gently, you know. Um, I think to myself, well, if I've gone through all of these things and I appear quite normal, quite functioning, and I, I guess I am to, to some degree, um, but, you know, it's invisible. Nobody sees that. And so that leads me to think, well, you know, how many other people are dealing with this, you know? And I function relatively okay. Um, but yeah, there's this thing. Um, and so that makes me tread carefully throughout the world. But yes, you are right. I think the goal is to lessen 
these moments. And if we can't lessen them, then I think we should be asking, like, what can we learn from them? Or how? what can this teach me about being in the world? For me, that's where I get my uh, definition of art from, is because mm. I ask myself, well, how? Mm. How do I shorten these these durations of anguish? How do I make the load lighter to bear? And how do you? Uh, I reconcile yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I go, well, well now what? And I go, I share it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I share my wounded but bandaged self with the mm. world. I say, you do it too. Yeah. And let's see what happens when we create a community of people that are all doing that. Yeah. There's a big part of me that recognizes the fundamental necessity of opposing forces. Mm-hmm. I completely understand that. But for me, I'm happy with <laughs> a short but strong amount of anguish mm. and then a long, intense period of bliss mm, you know mm, like a big mm, uh, asteroid and then a, yes. a huge tsunami of of surrender mm-hmm. i want more joy mm, yeah i want to give more joy me and too. i want to i want to help people find their own joy yeah so for me if the if the art ain't doing that then it's not mm. it's I'm, I'm i'm asking okay your expression is valid mm. but what's it going to do for first of all for you mm. And what's it going to do for the person who's listening to it? Mm, mm. I might identify with it, but now all I know is that I'm in the hole with somebody else, which mm. is reassuring, but it's mm. not evolutionary. Mm. And I think that's the difference between revolution mm. and evolution. Mm. Even, even uh, etymologically, even in the language of the word, what is revolution? It's a going round in a circle. Mm. What is an evolution? It's a spiral. Mm-hmm. every step we get closer to the middle mm-hmm. and with a revolution we just go back back and forth and round in circles so for me art has to be evolutionary mm. good art anyway yeah so it's joy so uh, art for you is joy is like a art for you is like the reminder of joy or the reinforcement of joy a relic of joy okay yeah a map to joy or um, that's a good way of putting it it's never joy itself. Mm, mm. See, this is the thing that I have been thinking recently. The art is never the joy itself. It's just a reflection or a representation or proof that joy exists. It cannot lead you to the feet of joy. It's just f- there for you to be able to tell mm-hmm. when joy has entered. Yeah. It's not joy itself, but it's the, hey, this is what it might sound like and might feel like so that when you're in it, you know. Mm. When you're in a holy moment, when you're at the feet of fucking the sublime, mm. you'll know because you heard this or because you saw this and you'll, re- and you'll remember. Mm-hmm. And it's another thing for me that's been very prevalent recently. I have visions of me on my deathbed and my last words being, I remember. Mm. As I return, mm. I remember. Mm. And, and f- then that changes my mission to... Mm. How can I get other people to remember now? Mm. Not then, when it's too late, when I'm at the gates. Mm. How can I get them to remember now? And how can that change the definition of the world? You know, sometimes when I do come across something that's new from nowhere, let's say I haven't read a book, but all of a sudden, like, I, something feels intrinsically true. I'm like, I felt this as a child. Like, I knew this as, as, as a young person, you know, where you're kind of just able to be a bit more limitless in your thinking because you don't have as many um, cultural, social restrictions on you. Um, And so, you know, maybe art for me, another side of art is um, helping people remember 
what they know is true deep down. You know, because I think we, we know a lot more than we allow ourselves to because it's buried under, you know, well, I have to work and I've got to look after the kids and, you know, I've got to meet my boyfriend after work or whatever it may be. Um, and so, yeah, it gets, it gets buried under work obligations and all of these things. Um, but, yeah, art for me or, you know, a, a, a very important component of art to me is, yeah, trying to help us remember uh, what we forget. Uh, something I wrote last night, and mm-hmm. you have to forgive the language because oh. it's 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 God infused, and I, don't, I have I can't find a, a a word that holds as much weight. Mm-hmm. That's so that's the only reason I use it. More yeah. religious in any sense, no, but I it has it. that I get it. weight to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was uh, only a child's heart can be weighed equally to God's because man's carries the baggage of shame, mm-hmm. and that again is perfect reflection for me in a moment of validation because you're saying the same thing. Mm. The only thing left to do is to put down this learned behavior, put down this threat of shame and allow that innocence to come back. Mm. And I think that's important for me. Is It's not gone anywhere. It's just over in the corner, afraid, cowering, mm. waiting to be empowered. I tried to just look at us all as children. You know, I just do that because... Once you kind of see us as kids, uh, which we are in many ways, you know, so um, the thing is, like, we, we get older, we might have more reasons to cry out loud, but we can't, <laughs> you know, but we may have more reasons to than we are children. Um, and when you start looking at everybody, so not in like a, um, not in this sort of like intellectually superior way, like, oh, you're children, mm. but no, but just kind of like, you know, I'm a child, like, you're a kid, like, it kind of, for one, like when people do things that, you know, or abhorrent or whatever, like you can kind of, you see it, or for me anyway, you can see where this is coming from. It's like, you know, because, you know, sometimes the, we are quite quickly to say, like, this is just a bad person. This is an evil person. This is a hateful person. It's like, oh, you're a scared person. I understand, you know, or like, maybe it's something like if you're not scared maybe it's like oh you're overcompensating because you know you feel inferior in this space I I get that you know and it makes it easier to not judge and and not and no judgment doesn't mean condoning you know I think people often think that like you know to understand something is to condone something no but I think when we look at each other through our child selves that are always there. Um, I think we're just easier on each other. There's an interesting conversation to be had about returning to the childlike innocence and the childlike nature, but also about how that same innocence is too easily manipulated. Mm. So how do we get to a point where we reconcile the two? So when you say manipulate, in what sense, let's say? Well, I'll speak about the context and where this thought came from. Is okay. The other day I read an article about AI, mm-hmm. and it was the guy from Google who runs Google. was basically like, we need to regulate these, this artificial intelligence because otherwise it's going to get, get to a place where we might not come back from. It just got me thinking, who programs AI? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, it's a scary idea. You know, you have to hold a republic. You have to hold a council mm-hmm. with, a, with scientists, but with also 
priests mm. uh, uh, and and people who are ordained, but also artists, but also government and politicians, but also children. And I'm thinking, well, out if, if, if anyone was to do it out of them, who would you pick? And children, for me, is the one <laughs> that, that seems most the, the safest option. But then I think, no, children are way too easily manipulated. Mm. And then I think, oh, shit. But my aim is to return to that childlike state but knowing that I can't because I have to keep one eye open for the people who are going to try to manipulate that force. Mm. You raise a good point, you know, because um, sometimes I can be hopelessly naive in my interactions with other people. I, you know, If I don't have any ill intentions, then sometimes I can make the mistake in thinking, well, well why would this person? You know, I'm being honest, so why would they not? Um, and that's just not life. So as much as we should cultivate some of the the better things of our more childlike nature you know again maybe it comes to this integration you know adulthood at least in its best form is just maturity it should be wisdom hmm. you know regardless of what age you are so it's like being a a wise child like an understanding that not everybody is going to have your best interest because of their experiences and the way that they are viewing life um and, and doing that thing where you have to, I don't know, I don't like maybe the, the connotation of saying something like protect your energy, but maybe it is that thing of being um, cautious of your environment or wanting to protect your environment, protect yourself, um, is it, something that we just have to do. Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, just because someone else could have... Um, you know, questionable intentions. It doesn't mean that we necessarily have to bring ourselves to their level, you know, but it just means that we kind of have to, oh, I see what you're doing. Okay, cool. I'm going to leave you to that. You know, I'm just going to do my thing, you know. I wish you well anyway, you know. Um, but I don't think it has to bring out our, you know, our worst nature. Mm. The first time as a child that you were shown anything other than this world of innocence, anything that exists beyond this state of presence. And I feel like so many things get in the way of that origin. So many bad relationships, so many hostile situations, so many regrets, so much shame, so many diverted paths. And people could spend a lifetime, you know, like get undoing all of that and getting back to that point of origin, that, that moment of where you're like, oh, I remember. Mm. And it comes with this shadow, as Jung would say. It comes with this, because once you know what it was like, you know why it's not that way anymore. And you have to reconcile it. Mm. They, you, there's no other way. That the, they have to live alongside each other and, you have to have ownership of them both or none at all. Mm. Um, and that's, uh, that's more terrifying than any blank canvas. Facing the shadow, as Jung would say, and, 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 and trying to, to integrate that and, and really exploring like our darker selves is like probably the hardest job in the world, um, which is probably why many people don't. Mm. Um, and maybe a reason why we live in a very less than ideal world. <laughs> um, but again, I, for me at least, 
it's the only um it's the only real path of value to me because you know you get to a certain stage and maybe you recognize that ah uh, you know money doesn't actually fulfill very much you know and having people know who you are doesn't really do anything and like oh i had something go viral oh, it feels like nothing i'm numb still <laughs> you know and you, all of these things that you think that you want you know and you're like oh it's pretty empty you know so so what is it you know i think it's it, it might even be good to get to that place i think it's or it's a critical place i think it's a critical place to get to when you're just kind of like all of these things don't feel like anything you know um because then you have to ask well what will mm. um and when you get to that place then it's like oh then you kind of start i think it puts you in this place and i think it can be quite a dark place for a while but it puts you in that dark place where you can start yeah really engaging with visualizing um seeing the roots of you know your own shadow um and then eventually getting to a place where you can yeah can integrate that and and yeah and and move forward in a a more balanced way um and you don't necessarily and and I think in that space you realize like you know if it's nothing if if none of these external things are going to do it then what really matters is how i treat people you know and and what i put out into the world and and how i can encourage others because we're all we're all being encouraged to do something so i don't think because i'm someone who can sometimes think well why should i encourage anyone to do anything you know i can get really too lost in the abstract mm. sometimes like and by me telling people what to do am i doing that thing that you know i don't want people to do but it's just kind of like you know if we're going to be encouraged which we are by a, a multiple of things then why not push for something gratifying mm. you know because a lot of the things that we're being told are of value are not gratifying um i at least think this um this process is gratifying is to being able to truly connect to someone and talk to someone even like we're doing beyond the surface you know because even if we don't see each other again for another four years it's kind of like but i I know you, you know, mm. to some degree. Like I know you more than just like you know your name and and what do you do. Like I, I know something that's quite precious to you, you know, and and that's of value to me. And we've shared something. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. exists between us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, uh, in these t honest expression and an honest expression, something is born in between yeah. the two of us. Mm -hmm. And not only does it live online for anybody else to experience, but it's always there for us to just you know, be able to look at each other in the eyes and know that something on the other side of that is receiving. Yes, exactly. And that's a beautiful feeling. It if is. That's, if that's not an incentive to start any kind of podcast or to have any conversation, I mean... It's scary because, you know, like, superficially, you know, maybe we have nothing in common. You know, you're a white man, I'm a black woman, you know, like... And so I think people can get caught up in their identity groups sometimes or maybe even their interest groups. It's like, well... This is my thing, you know. I'm really passionate about football, and she, he, or she's not into football, so maybe we have nothing there, mm. you know. Or maybe because we are of different races, ah, you won't really get my jokes. I won't really get yours. So there's nothing there. Um, but I think when we get to or get beyond the superficial, you know, I, I am someone who really does think we have a lot more in common than we do apart. Once we remove, <laughs> you know, like all of the 
the stuff, you know, the programs. The culture. Yes, the culture. For, for me, that's a big one. Mm. That's a, I did an episode of this podcast when I didn't really know what culture meant. Mm. That was about, like, fuck culture. Mm. And people mm. were like, what do you mean? Mm. Coming from the sort of scenes that I came from, you Which, know. Which, like, well, when scenes... Like, like SBTV. Yes, okay, cool. Grime scenes. Yeah, all yeah the, I get the, it. Those type, of, those type of circles where culture is the... Holy Grail. Like. And I never know what people mean by that. I mean, it's funny that you're saying that because, you know, um, it's a kind of running joke I have about things sometimes, like the culture, mm. you know, and it's always the culture. You know, it's um, it's a funny thing to me, but I'm interested in, in fuck the culture. Please continue. It's no different to a parent's conditioning. You right. know, it's like, wear these shoes. Mm. Listen to this radio show or this presenter. Listen to this song. Exactly. Promote this song. Exactly. Promote this artist. Read these books. Have these conversations. Go to these clubs. Don't like these people. Don't wear that. It's just another set of rules. Like yeah. It doesn't matter if it's grime music or, or if it's uh, Donald Trump. Like yeah. It's still a set of values that you're subscribing to out of nothing really other than I need people to like me. Yeah, and I, you know what? It's it's really nice hearing you say that or refreshing hearing you say that because I've long been suspect of this, the culture mm. thing, you know? like Because, you know, we, we speak about, like, we've got to protect the culture. We do it for the culture, you know? And I find these, I find these phrases really, like, what, what do you mean, the culture? Like, and, and it's exactly that. It's because we're so locked into the culture and what that means to be a part of it and how to be uh, a loyal member of that we block ourselves off from so many other things. So in many ways, yeah, I'll say fuck the culture too because like, like it's, I'm fuck anything that limits like your potential, you know, and that tells you who you should be based on your age group and, you know, based on your ethnicity and your race, like, uh, this is, you know, this is cancerous to art, mm. in my um, opinion. You know how many artists that we may have that exist in a so-called the culture who won't allow themselves to explore sounds that really move them because it's not what the culture does, mm. you know? And, and I think that's... Um, I think that's really devastating. It doesn't promote freedom of thought. Mm. It doesn't promote individuality. Mm, and for mm. me, the thing that the people that propagate the culture are the ones that are true individuals. Mm -hmm. So a culture of grime gets built around someone like Skepta mm. or someone like Jamie or, so, or someone like Wiley or someone, someone truly radical mm -hmm. who wears what they want, says what they want and makes what they want. And then everybody else does the same. Yeah. It's like this, the comical scene out of Monty Python. Yeah. Where Jesus is like, think for yourself. Like, yeah, right? Yeah. He's like, and they're like, yes, we must think for ourselves. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah. You, they're all worshiping at the altar of something other than themselves. Yeah, yeah. They're not going, well, who am I? Mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm. just fitting into a puzzle. And for me, it's, I understand the necessity of a culture to build some kind of utopia. You need a manifesto, mm -hmm. you need to be on the same page, but it can't be a culture of individuality that's built on impersonation. Mm, yes, yes, yes. And fear. Yes, yeah. Most people's fear is, be, is be not adhering to the culture or mm. making something other than the culture. Mm. And it just doesn't, it's not expansive. Right. It's not evolutionary. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and the problem is that it's, it's hard to be an individual 
you know? I think that's what I find for people. And even maybe in myself, I would never change. I try to be an individual, um, as in I like what I like, and I what I like is generally boring to most people around me, you know. And and the more boring it is to other people around me, is the more sometimes I'm like, oh, I must really like this then, um, because it's not. There's no. I'm not getting any validation for this. I'm not getting any any sort of props, kudos, or anything for having these uh, interests. If anything, they sometimes alienate me. Um, and, but the problem is sometimes is that, you know, the want to belong is quite punishing, although it's very beautiful in many ways too, but it's punishing in that it will make us diminish who we are um, to fit into these things. Um, and that's why, you know, I, I can't say if I'm honest, like I've maybe for the last five, six years, potentially longer, you know, I grew up on hip hop, let's say. That was like my first musical love. And I can't say that I've been interested in the last six, seven years, apart from a few here and there, in delving into that very much. And and maybe also this partly because, like, you know, I you know I grew up where I was told that is what you listen to because of how I look also, um, and it was popular at the time. And and there is hip hop is in my DNA in many ways, and and I don't uh, diminish its influence on me. However, you know, a lot of it, a lot of the mainstream, at least from my lens, in the way that I interpret it, isn't counterculture. In fact, sometimes it's overtly pro-establishment, mm. as far as I see. Um, and I don't like things that are, or I find them dangerous, things that are overtly pro-establishment, but project this anti establishment thing I, I'm i not interested in um, and I think yeah it's dangerous but just beyond that I, it just doesn't feel like people are allowing themselves to be individuals you know like you can get called all kinds of names in this society when you really start to think for yourself it's quite scary to do and even in history when people have done that we've often vilified them mm. for it and you know they're only known after their death um, to be potentially a genius or a forward thinker or a prophet yeah exactly so yeah I get why and especially in the climate that we now live in sorry which is very unforgiving on mm. people's so-called mistakes yeah well I mean I'd probably rather be hung on a crucifix than I would be <laughs> shamed online oh my and gosh. have to live the rest of my days not being able to work, <laughs> right. not being able to make anything and not be respected and not be granted the opportunity to grow or change. Right, yeah, it's it's a terrifying thing. I mean, I, I think about it and, and speak about it a lot and, you know, there's so many people who are like, oh, but this doesn't exist because, you know, celebrities still work, they still have... And it's like, yeah, that's the point. It doesn't work on celebrities, but it does people like you and I. You know, it does people without, let's say, any structural power or like a major influence or a global influence. It does. And even if we can still work somewhere, you know, should we have to pick ourselves up off the floor and rock bottom, you know, in order to be able to do that? Um, should we be subjected to everybody viewing us through our worst mistakes and maybe sometimes not even mistakes things that people misunderstand it's true you know because they're not always mistakes i mean that it would that <laughs> would be fine if a, if along with that came an air of forgiveness right it would be fine <laughs> if it was like pick me apart because we're trying to grow 
instead of it coming with, let's make an example, let's make this person a pariah, let's yeah. make them the embodiment of everything that we pretend that we're not. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is for me, like, I always say you can't demand an apology because once you demand it, it's just appeasing you. Mm. You know, like apology is something that's given at will. You know, you don't have to be told to do it. So I'm not really about public pol apologies for private mistakes. Something that I uh, wrote on the way here was some artists reflect the times, some artists perpetuate the times, and some artists evolve the times. What would you consider to be an evolutionary act for an artist? Um... You know, now that we're all so public uh, and we volunteer maybe quite personal aspects of our lives, I think an artist now would really represent something evolutionary is if they were to remain some sense of privacy, you know, as in, you know, beyond their work. You know, your work is public, of course, you know, we will consume it. But beyond that, if they can remind us the beauty of privacy, the beauty of not being public, the beauty of not feeling like you have to conform to the set rules of what it is to be an artist or a celebrity. You know, sometimes we, we think about the Grammys and we might get mad about who's been snubbed or, you know, who hasn't been given their rightful props. And I'm like, I'd love it if an artist was just like, I don't give a shit about a Grammy. Like, you know, as long as I can make my music and I have an audience who appreciate it and I can hopefully do this for life if, you know, things work out, like, fuck an award. And, and that means something to me because I think it's... I'm not sure what it means if we, we get into these things solely to kind of be validated by institutions we claim we dislike culture again right you know so i like it if there was a really like there was a really um popular global artist who just never went to these things this person was just infamous for just never ever going you know um i think we'd we'd learn something from that it, they maybe they never spoke about why they didn't you know so it's all down to our you know it's part of the art even you know it's all down to our interpretation but i i think i would there's something in that that I think I would really value um, in terms of reorienting our, our sense of what it means to make it. Um, so yeah, I think that would be evolutionary is for an artist to remind us of the value of privacy um, and the value of not ranking their success on institutions that we all claim to be corrosive. It's all a PR campaign. Mm -hmm. You think after the Brits, Stormzy doesn't go and sell another million albums because Ireland put, or Universal, whoever he signed to, put a bunch of uh, promo behind the, the Brits and he performed at the Brits. It's just a carousel. It's mm. just another bit of promotion cycle for, for these uh, corporately owned pieces of work. Mm. It's not about integrity. It's not about merit. Mm. It's about, let's just give it another platform to remind people that it exists so they'll part with their money. Yeah. So for me, not being nominated is a mark of validation. Oh my gosh, right? Yeah. It means that you're on something else. You're not owned by anybody. Nobody can profit from you. And the stuff you're making, people don't even fucking understand. Yeah. So for me, as a 
that's um, it's a, I, I echo that sentiment. And, and again, it's nice to 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 hear you say that because you know it's not a it's not a view I share very often with people because I you know I get it like we. You know, people want to be recognized for their work and, and, and what means or what is greater for some people than to be recognized by the highest, um, by the highest sort of um, official body that recognizes film, you know, or recognizes music. You know, I, I understand that it's a milestone for many. But what's a bigger milestone for me is just not giving a shit. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. To be free from that need of a trophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like put, you put it perfectly. To be able to just go again is yeah. enough of a reward. Let's talk about fashion. Mm. Be interesting just to pick your brain and, and on fashion as an art form. Mm. I, I distinguish between fashion and style. Uh, and so fashion for me is that cynical thing that changes and you throw out after six months and you couldn't be caught dead wearing it okay. and people follow a trend culture and, again yeah right style is something different to me you know style is something that's quite timeless style is something that you may keep irrespective of the trend irrespective of the trend um, style also isn't just about clothing. It's your point of view, you know? It's the way that you see the world. It's your conversation. Um, because I remember before I got into fashion, you know, I had this um, naive belief that, like, everybody who was really um, sort of eccentric with their style and everybody who paid it a lot of attention must just be an interesting person. You know, you quickly learn that's not the truth once you get into once you get into this world. But I thought it was communicating something about their values. You know, I thought it was communicating something about the way that they see the world. Um, but no, for some people, it's just I'm doing as I'm told, mm. you know. Um, so I was attracted to style for one because of something maybe that we can now call the culture, which I couldn't fit into as a young person. You know, let's say 10, 12 upwards. I was a woman who did not fit the feminine stereotype. Um, and that was uncomfortable for a little while. And so I got to this point where, you know, I hope, I like to think that my, my brain can be fairly pragmatic. Like if I can't change a situation, I'm like, well, how do I respond to this situation? So I was never going to be able to do something. I could never be typically feminine in the way that the world recognizes so I just decided that I'm not going to do that. I'm going to carve me, you know, and be what I want. But in order to be comfortable with that, I'm going to make it interesting, mm. I hope. You know, I'm at least going to make it interesting by my own standards. And that brought me into style. So it was like, if I can't be in your race, then I'm just going to create my own lane. Um, and in that, I, I developed a confidence, you know, like I was, and what I noticed is that, you know, I'm a young black girl at this point and people are like, they're coming up to me and they're like, what do you do? Everyone's just interested in me all of a sudden. Everyone thinks I must be someone. And I thought, wow, is that all it takes? You know, and I, and I realized something very fickle about the world, but also something quite interesting. And I was like, well, if this is all it takes for people to want to give me opportunities, well, maybe I could do this for other people. Mm. You know, maybe if I started styling people, um, it would open up doors. You know, at the time, British music wasn't in the place that we are in now. Um, and it didn't seem to have much um, travel beyond the UK. 
And I thought, you know, maybe if it had more of a look, you know, maybe if it had something to it, maybe that would expand it. Um, and it was almost maybe like a social experiment to myself to, because I think everybody has style. It's just something that we need to to pull from ourselves. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it was that for me. So it was never necessarily like my love of certain brands, although I do have some brands that I, I really admire and like or find interesting. Um, but it was never this need that you need to be head to toe in this. And there is an element of fashion that is like that, that where it's more advertising, mm. you know? You can be a stylist, but you have to use this brand, you know, because this brand has this deal with this magazine and, and blah, 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 blah. So it kind of limits what you can do to some degree. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to give, and I know that it gave me confidence in some way. It was made me more comfortable with being a non-feminine woman in a world that has a certain idea about femininity. Well, this idea of non-feminine. Yes, exactly. This is interesting. Yeah. It's well, interesting that you you said, well, I'm not feminine, so let me just create another facet of femininity. Yes, exactly. As opposed to maybe, if it was now, maybe you might have been like, well, then I must be a boy. Yes. I, you know what? I, I can't even lie. Like, I would have. I definitely went through a stage as a young person, a very intense palpable, like, visceral stage of feeling like I was a boy. Very, very, very much so. And I remember being young, like, I just want to be a boy, I just want to be a boy, because in my childhood brain, everything felt easier mm. for a boy. You know, just on very simple things like, you know, a kid is very preoccupied with having fun. That's its, you know, that that's its um, priority. So it was like, well, I can't climb trees if I'm in a skirt, which means that this person's having more fun than me. You know, that's not okay. I want to do what he's doing, you know? So it'd be easier if I could wear, if trousers were just my norm, um, which then told me, like, I want to be a boy, mm. you know, because I had different interests. I wasn't really interested in Barbie. I wasn't really interested in dolls and stuff like that. I played PlayStation games, like I was into sports and things like that. I, I liked mountain bikes or whatever. And because we live in a world that has such narrow definitions of gender um i thought well it doesn't exist you know women can't be like me you know so if you can't be like this then you must be a boy it took me a long time to realize oh femininity can be anything i want mm. you know like i can make femininity anything i define it yeah it yeah it doesn't me. yeah exactly i mean in many ways i would say a woman who presents in non-traditionally feminine ways um is a pure form of femininity to me because it's not it's not culturally enforced, you know? And there's something about that that I think is quite beautiful um, to develop it for yourself, mm. you know, which isn't to diminish um, traditional femininity. Um, but to have your sense of femininity come from you, I think is also special, equally as special. Mm. Um, and it's one that I resonate with more. It's something that I remember about Sam Smith and he was like, well, I, I don't fit into all the things a man must be, so so I'm now a woman. Also, it was something like He's that. He's non-binary, I think he identifies non -binary. as, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure. I can't mm. remember. But all I remember was this feeling of like, don't bow out of the class because you don't fit in. Go 
here is another variation of what masculine or what a man can be. Yeah, yeah. That's way less divisive or at least doesn't perpetuate the same stereotypes or the same divisions that confuse people. Mm, mm, mm. You know, to just like either jump to one side or the other mm. or to not jump into a side at all is not expansive or evolutionary. It doesn't... In, it doesn't um, grow the spectrum of what a man can be or what a woman can yeah, be. Yeah, in, in many ways, uh, which is not to diminish um, how anybody feels. Of course But not. if we want to, if we think that gender is limiting and shallow um, and narrow, then how about we expand what it means to be male or female? You know, um, and so sometimes, you know, because at one point I did think to myself, because in many ways, I embody something that's non-binary, if you like. Mm. And by that, I mean it in the literal sense. Like, I don't, I'm, I'm quite androgynous. And uh, my clothing is a mixture of men's and women's. So just using that word in its literal sense. But when I thought about, is this now my identity? I think for me, it was more like, well, if I opt out, of being a woman um, or saying that I identify with being a woman, should I say, then I might be, not anybody else, but I might be by my own standards and principles reinforcing an idea of what it means to be woman. I am saying to other women who look like me, yo, you're not a woman. You know what I mean? Like you're this other thing, you know? And I think for me, uh, the way that I see things is I think it's... Um, I think it's quite radical to uh, broaden our definition of what a man can be. I hate the many ways that we limit men. You know, I, yeah, I really find it suffocating. In what ways? You know what, I'm, I'm really don't like the idea that a man can be emasculated. Because a woman can't really, there's no, there's no female equivalent of the word emasculation as such. You know, women can't be defeminized. I mean... One may feel that way, or maybe let's say if you don't cook, to so some man he might say, well, you're not a real woman. So there are definite ideas of what makes a real woman. But the idea that one, a woman can feel robbed of her womanhood by something a man does, doesn't quite exist. But for me, the idea that a man can feel emasculated by, let's say, maybe a woman who earns more than him, or... Maybe he wants to be a stay-at-home father. And so his friends and family are telling him, you know, well, that's emasculating. You know, there are so many examples that I can give. But to say that means masculinity is this really, this really narrow thing. You know, it's this thing, like, that can be taken away from you. It's not, a, it's not anything biological or social, or maybe, maybe that is the problem. Or spiritual. Yeah, yeah, or spiritual. Yeah, exactly. It's this set of ideas that you can be excommunicated from, mm. you know? And so for me, in the term emasculation says that our idea, says that our construction of masculinity is an idea, you know? It's not something uh, that's bound in spirit or bound in... It's not something that's real. No, it's, it's not, not something, something that's true. Real. Yeah, exactly. It's not something true. So if you can be emasculated, which is to take away one's which is to take away a man's sense of maleness, what lives underneath that then? Mm. You know, what's there? What's that thing, you know? And does that mean this thing that you've been doing, you've put it on? Um, 
I'm really, you know, every time I see a really effeminate man, I really think it's like ultimate strength to me mm. in many ways because it's so hard to do that in our society. It's everyone's telling you that that's the, you know, the opposite of being male. How old were you when you felt like a, when you felt like you might be a boy? Since I was a, a child, I never. I that's the thing. So I, I I really relate when I hear stories of kids feeling like mm. you know they are not in the right body, um, and so. I can't, if I'm honest, I can't remember ever feeling like I'm, I was a girl. Maybe it lasted until, it could have been fairly late, if I'm honest. Fairly, fairly late. I'm 31 now, and it may have really hit itself on the head at maybe 26. Wow. But it was less powerful at that point, as in like, so like, I felt like I'm not really a woman. But I don't have this like desire to be a man, although it might be more comfortable to be a man, but mm. I don't want to go through that whole procedure. I can, I can live, you know? Yeah. Like, it's uncomfortable, but I can live. You know, lots of life is uncomfortable. I can bear it. Um, but when I saw people, like, transitioning and stuff like that, I was just like, yeah, I, I completely understand. And I do understand. Um, but for me, in everything that I am and do, I want to try and get comfortable with, you know, as I am, you know, people want to fit in. And one of the worst things that you can be these days is ordinary, mm. you know? Um, and by ordinary, that means whatever the norm is. So this is, this is something, again, that's interesting, is we have this need to not be normal and not be ordinary. At the exact same time, we have a flourishing mental health crisis. Yeah. So I don't want to be normal, but I actually can't cope with what the individual <laughs> means. Yeah, yeah. So it's like we're living in a state of schizophrenia of where we're yeah, like, yeah. I want to be strong, but I can't be. But this idea of appeasing to people who feel like they have mental health issues, but because they want to break away from the danger of normality, yeah. the, the, the insanity of normality, mm -hmm. and... and 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 then all of these campaigns about men, I don't know, I just, there's some real dissonance there in those two contradicting beliefs. And it's mm. so mental. It's very, yeah, it's it's like, yeah, no, let's just say that I completely understand uh, your, your reason uh, for calling this a dissonance, you know, between like the want to be an individual, the fear of being an individual, the recent surge in what we now call a mental health crisis, the fact that we feel, we feel like we can't really bear reality anymore in, in a myriad of ways, um, they all seem to intersect, you know, and now all of a sudden it's everyone's job but your own to make you feel safe, you know, and I think that can be dangerous um, because if it's everybody else's job to make us feel safe, then we might always perceive a threat, mm. you know, because we don't know everybody's intentions, which is only going to exacerbate the mental health situation. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I just, you know, always think is a problem is we're not honest enough, you know, we're not honest enough and we can't say things because if we say certain things and, you know, people think we're hateful rather than wrong. Or just have a different reality, you know. People would more likely to say that you're evil, um, you want them dead, or you know something like that. So uh, we are pushing ourselves into an era of self censorship, and self censorship 
cannot be good for their mental health situation either. Mental health propaganda, as I actually call yeah. it, indicates that there's a normal way that your brain should be. Yes. And for society, that normality, that comfortability, which is actually quite insane, mm -hmm. which is actually anti-human, mm. because any actual human being looks at society and wants to break away. Yeah, of course. Because they realize this mass ho homogeny yeah. of people and things and objects and happenings all into this one thing that, yeah. that we call civilization is not real. Yeah, yeah. And it's all predicated on culture and a set of rules that we're, are dictated to us yeah. and that we have no say in. To respond in a sick way to an ill world is probably a sign of health. You know, to, you know, to kind of... To respond in a very, um, I need to get away from this, you know, is a sign because this is, as you may say, like a, this is a normalized insanity. Mm. You know, that's what we live in. It's a very normal sense of insanity. Um, and yeah, I, I think there is a problem with that, but it's, it's quite controversial to even dwell in this territory to say that, you know, well, yeah, we're not, we're not denying that you know, there are brain chemistries and there are maybe hereditary factors that can contribute to a person's ill health, ill mental health. However, a lot of the ways that we respond to a very sick society are completely rational, you know, completely rational. Like, why would you respond well to a society that only values you for your labor? Mm. You know, essentially, like you, and you were worthless without it. Like how, how are many of us reasonable meant to feel in such a situation? Um, and we don't often speak about that. We only speak about mental health in terms of brain chemistry and, you know, and genes, um, which is only one part of the story. You know, maybe people are responding to their surroundings. Or, and when I am depressed, it's often because I'm resisting change. You know, I'm resisting the fact that I've grown out of something that I've become very accustomed to. I'm resisting the fact that, like, the new space that I'm going into might alienate me. You know, my friends might not understand me there. My family may not understand me there. And I'm going to lose something, and that's scary, you know? So it's resistance is the way that I understand a lot of my own mental health conditions. Um, because we haven't always had psychology. We haven't always had, like... Um, medication. Oh, yeah, medication, that's the one. <laughs> we haven't always had these things, you know, so I often think, well, how would I have, how would we deal with it then? You know, like, how, well, how would we think about these things, you mm. know, maybe, and, you know, lots of different cultures and especially within spiritual circles have a very different lens mm. on mental health issues, even things as severe as schizophrenia. Yeah, well, you, you only have to go to Asia, you exactly. only have to go to Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Or read a story about someone in, in the East who has schizophrenia and their hallucinations are positive. Yeah. They see angels, guides yeah, yeah, and spirits yeah, yeah, and yeah. friends. Yeah, right. And here, our, our schizophrenics are paranoid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a real cultural definition, even to our illnesses. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. makes me think then this isn't coming from within. Yeah, no, exactly. I've always found it really interesting, especially around schizophrenia and sometimes bipolar, that one of the um, so-called hallucinations that they have, or one of the, the voices that keeps coming into their mind, is this sense of God. You know, all of a sudden, God 
people who've never been religious before, people who've never even maybe been spiritual, all of a sudden either feel like God, feel like God is telling them to do something. And, and, and I just think it's, and even if we think of someone like Kanye, who has been said, you know, and I don't follow a lot of things well, but I've heard stories that, you know, so people I think have been saying recently that he is bipolar and he's going through all of these things. And now all of a sudden he's come out, you know, a born again Christian. Mm -hmm. You know, there is something, you know, people in those situations seem to search for something divine, you know, and some people will call that God. You know, maybe for other people, they might turn to spirituality. And are they searching forms. for it or maybe, are they experiencing yes, it? Yes, experiencing And they only have the cultural symbols that they have accessible to them. Exactly. That. I went through a two, maybe three or four week period where I genuinely thought I was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. Mm -mm. I could not do anything. Everything I was seeing, everything I was reading, like all of my interactions were telling me that I was. And I had a conversation with someone and, and they were like, well, you're trying to bring forth the truth. Who else would you feel like? You know, let's take Jesus as a literary character, as a meta hero. Like, here's, every, here's the truth embodied. That's, that's how he was sold. That's his, who else would you feel like? You're not going to feel like you, are you, when you're trying to be something better than yourself? Mm. So I and That's I've a really got, good friend you had there. Yeah, and I've got um, I've got a friend who who was institutionalized this time last year. His uncle died, so he went to Poland to live with his auntie, mm -hmm. and then ended up just going on a mad one in Eastern Europe, and ended up in a in a mental asylum. And has now come out, and he phones me weekly, and and we speak about God and whatever that that means yeah. to to both of us. Mm -hmm. And he's very. Western Christian man in the sky, and I, I understand it, so I can speak in that language. But for me, it's still this sense of this sublime spirit that each one of us possesses mm. that is at every moment trying to be realized in every plant, in every conversation, in every fucking coming together of lovers mm. it's trying to be manifested in every moment and for me the schizophrenics and the bipolars and the labels that we give those people that's all they're trying to do mm. you can't when you're when you're um inspired you can't help it mm -mm. it's using you yeah, you're being yeah, yeah. used yeah 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 <laughs> and for some people that brings paranoia yeah yeah for yeah. some people that brings grand delusions yeah. or flow state yeah where they create their yeah. best for work. some people it brings mm -hmm. flow mm -hmm. but it's this it's still it's the exact same force mm -hmm. each and every time yeah it's not always an illness mm -hmm. it, it's not always something born out of fear yeah. It's not something that can always be explained or communicated. Yeah. And for me, to lead us back to art, it's if, if, if a paranoid schizophrenic can walk up to a painting and feel relief mm. and, and see a mirror and be like, oh, wait a minute, this person isn't crazy. Mm. I'm looking at their work. This person, this, I see myself. And and similarly with 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 normal people, if they can look at somebody who who, who has an illness or they th see as having an illness and think, well, they do seem divinely inspired, and it makes me very uncomfortable. And I should probably think about why that is. Yeah, no, definitely, we definitely need a more holistic framework to look at mental illness, because everything we are saying here right now is comically controversial, mm. because it shouldn't be, you know, because no one is discounting necessarily that people are going through things. What we are only adding is that 
we should be able to look at these things from different perspectives. Um, and we should. Um, I, you know, have had a similar experience like you. You know, I lost my mind at one point. In, well, I say I lost my mind and I mean that in the most beautiful sense. Yeah, yeah. The most beautiful the and most scary liberating sense. liberating sense. Yeah, yeah. I literally lost the mind that had been controlling me. <laughs> you know, I'd lost the, the mind that told me this was that and this was this and this was that. And it was both terrifying and thrilling. Mm. You know, like it was the best experience I, I've ever had. I'm not someone who's um, has a natural affinity for drugs or um, takes drugs. Um, that kind of stuff is quite scary to me. But this was drugs. You yeah. know, this experience well, was... Yeah, this was what the, the drugs are trying yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like this was that for months. Solid. It was scary because you've never felt that way before, you know. So how do you, how do you even put language to something like that? You can't really be around people because everyone thinks you're weird all of a sudden, and everyone thinks you are losing your mind, and you are, but it's not what you think, you know. And and I remember in that time, I remember the CeeLo Green song, I think, or Niles Bark, same crazy, yeah, yeah, crazy. And I was like, I get this all of a sudden, yeah, and that yeah, wasn't yeah. even a song I liked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, suddenly it's become biblical. Yeah, yeah, for you. yeah exactly. Do you know? Um, yeah, like I would say, you know, it was it was the best experience of my life. Although it was terrifying, mm. I won't diminish that. It was scary because I didn't know how to contextualize it. But and I had very freakish coincidences, probably very similar to you as well. Um, but I've never been the same since, and that doesn't mean that it's been a bed of roses since. It definitely hasn't. You know, these have been some of my hardest years ever. But I feel like I've learned so much, and I've become so much softer, you know, as a result of going through that hardness. Um, and I like that. Um, I like that. I like that I'm slow to judgment, you know, or slow to condem condemn condemnation, you know. There's things I don't like, but I don't feel like it's my job to critique you specifically. I think there's ways you can critique things without having to talk to you, without having to make you feel ashamed mm. of who you are. Mm. Um, and, and that's what I try to do now. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you know, arguably, you know, some people will say like, you know, some of at least the most profound and prolific art that we have, you know, has been created by people who've been in those states. Because now when we use our present lens to analyze past artists, Van Gogh, you know, and lots of different types of people of that caliber, you know, I've heard people say or I've seen things that tried to frame Van Gogh as, you know, like, oh, they give him a diagnosis, mm. you know, like, you know, he was bipolar, or he was this. Um, so, yeah, because it is a very hyper-creative stage as well. You, you suddenly don't have really fear mm. about all of that kind mm. of stuff. Like, you just want to push things out. Mm. So, yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, we need new ways to think and talk about mental health. Art is an example of how to soften. Yeah. For me, if anyone's stepping up to a blank canvas, regardless of your medium, if that's the mantra, mm. that's going to benefit you, yeah. your process, your work, your attachment to the process, and everybody who comes into contact with that. For sure. So thank you for leading me to that revelation mm. and hopefully everybody else can take that on board I think that's a perfect place to wrap up yeah thank you so much for coming oh, to chat to me thank you for having me see you uh, in four years yeah potentially another four or five yeah, yeah, years yeah man we'll catch up thank you so much for coming and chatting appreciate nice. it awesome no problem man no that was fun
Yeah, and you know what? It's so weird because like, I can't remember. We met first actually with Phil, right? Yeah. And I don't know how I knew, but even before you told me about, you know, your four weeks thinking you were Jesus, <laughs> I don't know why I knew that about you. Really? Yeah. I don't. Is it not that you felt that you were Jesus, but I knew that you had essentially what we call in the Western world, lost your mind.